Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. We have been dealing with the subject of biblical meditation. I think this is our fourth, fourth part in the series on meditation. The employment of the mind to reflect upon, meditate, ponder, ruminate upon what one has received of God's word, God's ways, God's works. Everyone say God's word. God's ways, God's works. That's the matter, the subject matter of meditation is God's word, God's ways, his person, and his deeds, what he has, what he has done. Last week, I also added a fourth dimension to that. Um, You must meditate using the mind prophetically of things to come. So, for example, Isaiah says, do not ponder, do not meditate on the things of the past. Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind. And I think also in the fast we are about to embark upon, it will be my endeavor also to reflect the mind and to project into the future. Because the Lord says, do not reflect on things that I've done in the past, while the past might inspire me now in the present. But God says, behold, I do a new thing. So the mindset must, the mindset must be compatible to the new thing that God wants to do in the future. The state of your mind presently must not be a prohibitive factor to embrace what God wants to do presently or in your future. In other words, you can't take your mind and so fixated upon his past dealings that you cannot embrace what he wants to do now and in the future. Mike Weitenberg prophesied that the month of March for this house is going to be a significant month, and he wasn't certain as to what. Okay, So my heart is full of expectation as to what will God do. But also, in my mind, I'm not preempting what He will do. Because the moment you do that, you begin to circumscribe how you think He ought to do the new thing. I'm, I'm virtually saying, Lord, I have an expectation, but do whatever you want. I don't have a preconceived notion, but I have an expectation. I don't want to box you in in terms of working this way because these are the needs. In fact, you know what the most obvious thing to trust God for is? Whenever a prophet says something like that, God's going to do something great. Do you know what we tend to do? We tend to look at the present needs and deficiencies we have and say, surely God's going to do X, Y, and Z. But I want to encourage you to expect God and to defer to the sovereignty of God for him to decide what he needs to do in your life. And his interventions will perhaps not ordinarily be something you expect him. For I envisage that God is going to work in ways that we don't even expect. What does the scripture say? I will do exceedingly. I will do 
abundantly above all you ask or think or imagine. So if you can ask, now everyone say think. Our subject is meditation. And meditation is our thinking process. And sometimes even when we meditate and with a prophetic hope of the new thing God's going to do in our lives. My posture now is, God, you promised in Ephesians that you will do far more exceedingly above anything I ask. In other words, utter in prayer. Whatever I ask, and it says, whatever I employ my mind to think about, God's going to go way beyond the limitation of my mind. Because I perceive, brethren, that what God's going to do is going to go out of the box of our present thinking. So please, um, because if you have a hope in reference to a particular thing, and the prophet says something, and you go in, hoping that God would answer you in those areas. And when he does not, you think God failed. But because you are so, you, your thoughts are so focused upon him answering the need that is most apparent to you, when he does not do and he answers in another way, you get disappointed, and that disappointment causes you to fail to see how he did answer. Remember the, the, the ten lepers who were healed? Nine went away, one came back. Why did the one come back? The Bible says very clearly, Luke 10, and the one, when he saw, tell your neighbor, when he saw, in other words, there was prophetic sight. When he saw that he was healed, turned back. The other nine had recognition, I believe, that the leprosy was, was healed. Smooth skin. No more leprous. But the one saw something way beyond what the other nine saw. And as, as we enter the, the next season, my prayer is, God, help me to see what you're doing. Even beyond seeing what's, a, what's blatantly apparent before me. Amen. So this is going to be a season of enhanced prophetic sight. Right? Heightened prophetic awareness. God, uh, Don Juan wrote a song, He works in ways we cannot see. Right? He's working behind the scenes. This month, I believe, month will be the month, uh, March will be the month of miracles for us. But miracles that you don't expect. Miracles that sometimes you will fail to see, but it's going to be God working behind the scenes. Month of March will be a, 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 a month of God weaving and dealing in the unseen realm, preparing a context for us, stuff that's only going to break through in the rest of the year because of what he did in the unseen world. Now, he's able to do far more than you can think or imagine. Amen? Far more he's able to do. And I really want to encourage you. It's amazing how the whole of last year, God led us to become skillful in spiritual disciplines. The theme of the whole of last year was the primacy of the word. And I encouraged you to read the book. This book. Everyone say this book. This book shall not depart. Not that book. Not a book. For God to say this book to Joshua means the book was in the vicinity of the man. This book. So Joshua was accustomed to the book. And I encourage you to always have the book, the scriptures, ever before you on a daily basis. And I hope that discipline is now part and parcel of who you are as a person. Amen? Is it true? Yes, answer me. 
Yes, we're loving the word, we're reading it daily, we're plugged in, we're rehearsing all the teachings of our, our spiritual father. Yes? Are you with me? Are we on the same page? Amen. You're, you're plugged in, you enter the word. Then, towards the latter part of the series, now I'm, I'm encouraging you to employ the mind and take charge of your thoughts. Don't be given to mental drift. Don't let your mind wander, but, 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 but arrest your thoughts, uh, incline your thoughts, direct your mind. Colossians 3, 2 says, set your mind on things that are above. We read this morning, the carnal mind is enmity with God, right? But a mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Isaiah says, I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on me. Is your mind stayed, right? Or are you still wandering, okay? I want to encourage you. It takes discipline. And the more you do a thing, it becomes habit. The habit then becomes a character. And the character will become a destiny. The more often you do a thing, it becomes habitual. Ultimately, it becomes part of who you are. It becomes a priority, a character that will ultimately shape your destiny. So it's hard sometimes to discipline yourself to think about the word, to think about a particular subject matter that was taught from this pulpit, to think about what your spiritual father says, to take time in your day to really set your mind and to ruminate like the cow brings up the cud, chew it again and extract the nutrients from it. It takes discipline because you know what? We are so robotic in life. We wake up and the schedule is set before us. Our boss expects us to arrive at work at a certain time. That dictates what time we wake up, uh, what we do, what time we leave the house. There are lunch breaks, tea breaks set for us at work. Uh, we come back, if you take public transport, you're committed to a schedule there again. You come back, if you're a housewife, you have to cook food for your family. There's things to be done. For us that have kids, there's homework that seems to be a mountain these days to look through and to sign and to check. Before you know it, by the, by the time you hit the evening, you are finished. Literally finished. Right? Now, if that's going to be the routine of your life, and if you do that for the next 10 years, you're not going to attain anything spiritually. You have to make adjustments and say, God, this, I'm not going to allow Babylon to set the pace of my life. I have to etch in valuable time. I'll share with you in a moment how Isaac, the Bible says, at the time of the evening, he went out into the field and he sat to meditate. If you don't carve out time in your busyness to literally have concentrated meditation on God's word, God's ways, God's works, I'm telling you, you're not going to develop the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in. Remember Martha was distracted by much serving, and Mary sat at his feet. The word distracted there um, in, in the Greek literally means mental drift. She was like, it actually alludes to mental disorientation. Sometimes busyness can disor disorientate the mind. And I remember last week I shared with you two images. The meditated mind is the plowed mind. And the meditated mind is the plattered mind. Remember? Right? Um, and I really want to encourage you to rehearse those notes. 
Because the more you do it, you're irrigating, you're plowing your mind like a field, a plowed mind, ready to receive new seed that will provide a harvest. And the plaited mind, like here that's plaited, right? Uh, a meditated mind is a plaited mind whose thoughts are not easily dislodged. You know what the bird of the air means in the parable of the seed and the sower? Remember the sower sows a seed, bird of the air that falls along the, I think it's the wayside or the pathway. The bird of the air comes in. The seed is what? Seed is the? The word. The various kinds of fields are states of the heart or states of the mind. And the seed given to a mind that literally is on the wayside. You know what wayside, the pathway is where men walk. That is not cultivatable land. Right? If you have a field, you want to plant seed, you need to? You need to plow it, loosen the soil. So when seed is dropped, it will grow if it's watered and nurtured correctly and bear forth much fruit in great abundance. Amen? So I really want to encourage you to excel. I wrote in, I was writing, busy developing the manual on meditation. And yesterday I just put it, I wrote, your meditative strength is the greatest determinant of your success. I'll say it again. Your meditative ability or capacity is the greatest determinant of all your success. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall do what? Meditate when? Consistently, day and night, that you might observe to do all that is written therein. For then you, not God, you, say you will make your way. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. So the greatest determinant to private success is the strength of the man's meditative capacity. Right? From Santon, and I've been listening to a, a, an excellent tape series by William Hinn called War in the Heavenlies. Both Dr. Seguet Santon and William Hinn in that series literally reduced the devil to almost negligible. He'd, the devil's not your biggest problem. Your mind is your biggest problem. Your thinking is your biggest problem. In fact, the venue of spiritual warfare primarily is the mind. Right? Second Corinthians 10 says what? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of? Now what are the strongholds? It says casting down imaginations. And thoughts that exalt themselves against the knowledge of Christ. We bring those things into captivity. Then the next verse says, when our obedience is perfected, we can then punish all other disobedience. The thing about perfecting one's obedience, so that God can use you as a standard to judge all other expressions of disobedience is this. The extent to which... Your thoughts oppose the knowledge of Christ. If you can dethrone and dislodge wicked thoughts. Remember Isaiah 55? Let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. The wicked man forsake his thoughts. My thoughts are not your thoughts, declares the Lord. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways. As the rain falls down and the snow from heaven waters the earth and brings forth new growth. So is my word that goes forth from my Mouth, it shall not return void, but it shall accomplish that which I've intended it. God's thoughts couch or are expressed in His Word. When His Word comes to you, the greatest opposing factor to His thoughts being your thoughts 
are your own uh, preconceived thoughts that oppose God's thoughts. Meditation aligns the mind of the soul to the mind of the spirit. You, you, you factor in the fact that I need to align my ways with God's ways. Okay, that was a fairly long introduction. Let's get into the meat. Amen. I want to share with you four examples of people who did actually do this in the Bible. Guys and women that meditated and they enjoyed certain results. We're going to have a look at Joseph. Oh, well, in order. Okay, let's start with Joseph, the father of Jesus. Joseph, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Peter, uh, Isaac, David, and Joshua, and lastly, eighthly, Timothy. We look at eight people who employed the discipline of meditation and got profound results. We'll see how we go. We'll do maybe three or four now and then the rest next week. Go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 in your Bibles. I was encouraged by Matthew's sharing of the, the testimony. He was at the launch yesterday in Cape Town with Dr. Elijah and um, met many people that receive the GSM studies via email on a weekly or, or bi-weekly or, or bi-monthly basis and have shared of how, what a blessing these notes are um, to them. So I want to encourage you, God is extending our image. Yesterday, the two little ones wanted to swim. I was in the throes of studying. It was so hot, I was studying on the veranda. Um, and uh, the two little smallies wanted to go swim, so we went to the beach and said, okay, just an hour, let's go quickly. And um, as we were swimming, lovely, lovely, lovely surf, etc., etc. Really, really refreshing. Okay? And the Lord reminded me, along the shoreline, this ship was sailing, this cargo carrier. And remember the prophecy this house received. This is not a luxury liner house. This house is a, what they call it? Oh, not a cargo. What the, cargo ship, right? It, it was just a base. It was a massive, it was the biggest I've ever seen of that type. And it had all of these um, containerization, uh, the, these containers stacked fairly high on it. And I thought, wow, I wonder which, it was en route to some country. I wonder which country. I wonder where's the destination. And the Lord reminded me, that's you. You're not an ocean liner. Not here to give people a luxury trip around the world. We are here to carry resource to the nations. Amen? So tell your neighbor you are cargo. You possess a spiritual resource that's going to bless whole nations. Amen? And um, we, our mindset has got to be that. Okay, Matthew 1.18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother, Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. So these guys were engaged. Now, before they came together, that is, before they had sexual intimacy, before they came together, she was found to be with child. She was pregnant by the Holy Ghost. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. So um, imagine Joseph one day visiting Mary, and she summer breaks out, Joe, I'm pregnant. And there's, she knows, and he knows, we haven't been sexually intimate. Now you tell me you're pregnant. Now please, we often spiritualize this thing, but this was a real situation. 
You know, don't think, don't, don't read into the script that these are super spiritual humans here. These are ordinary humans. Now, how would you react if your fiancé comes here and says, oh, I know our wedding is like in next week. I'm actually pregnant. Um, and, and both of you know you haven't been sexually intimate. Imagine what goes through the mind of this man, Joseph. Remember, he's from the tribe of Judah. And the prophecy was the Messiah had to be born within that tribe. So it's not just an ordinary man. The Bible also says he was extremely righteous, upright and circumspect. A holy, godly man. But I think his his human side gets to him. And the Bible says he thinks, he's determined, he's intent upon breaking off the engagement, cancelling all of the marriage plans. But he's such an upright man, this is what he proposes to do. Verse 19. Joseph, her husband, being a... Now, the Bible says a husband in Jewish culture, the betrothal, although the marriage wasn't official, the betrothal or the engagement was as serious as the actual marriage itself. So it was almost a done deal when you betrothed. Right? In our culture, you can engage someone and break it off if you change your mind later. Right? But in this culture, it was almost impossible to do that. Yet now, now think about this. Joseph, her husband... Being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. He's upright, so he thinks, okay, I don't want to disgrace this woman publicly. Because obviously, listen carefully, however this thing went down, if the engagement was broken, Mary would still have suffered great humiliation and disgrace. So he tries to douse that effect upon her, And so he wants to do this privately uh, and break the engagement off with her. Now, that's his intent. Verse 20. But when he considered this, you should underline the word consider. The word consider is the Greek word enthumiomai. Everyone say it with me. Enthumiomai. Come on, say it. Enthumiomai literally means this. To be inspirited. To revolve over and over in his mind. So what is this? This is meditation. Right? Okay, now, do this. The next time you do this, okay, don't do this in today's culture because when you do this, they think, hey, something wrong upstairs here. If you do the guy's loony. Right? But for us, this is now, come on, do it with me again. This is now our signature for the meditated mind. Amen? In other words, what, what, does they, what does Joseph do? Joseph revolves, listen carefully, his intended action over and over and over in his mind. This man does not, he's not given to quick, rational action. I mean, thoughtless actions. Before he actually does this, he's intending to do this. But before he actually puts his foot in the door and takes the decision... There's something in him of the spirit that I believe uh, raises a caution. And what does he do? The Bible says, he enthumiomize. It means to revolve, to ponder, to think, to deliberate, to have resolve in the mind. That also means this, listen carefully. It means to bring up something to the mind, but with agitation in one's spirit. So he's obviously not settled. His whole world has just come to an end. 
Mary, obviously, whom he loves dearly, and he's faced now with this predicament. What do I do? Do I still go and marry this girl? Right? Knowing the whole town is going to be talking about me. Right? What do I do? Do I break it off? If I break it off, she still suffers humiliation. I also have a particular stigma attached to me. And she was pregnant by another that she claims to be the Holy Ghost. What a story. Who's going to believe this? Can, can you see though, like the, the sheer unbelievability of this whole thing? I mean, which girl goes around, even now in our context, she's pregnant, who's the father? I'm pregnant by the Holy Ghost. The girl is the other way revolving. Not, not this way, she's revolving that way. Right? You think the sheer absurdity of the predicament this man is faced with. So obviously, he has agitation in his spirit. But listen carefully, I like this. Let's read it on. It says, But when he had considered this, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. St. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Amen? She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for you will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Now, Joseph, listen, what I like about the story is this. A man chooses meditation before he makes a very pivotal decision that's going to define his life from that point onwards. He is almost about to abort destiny. He's just about to make a decision that's going to cut him off forever from the line. Even, I believe, the privilege, you want say privilege, the sheer privilege of raising the Son of God in your home. Think about what is given to Joseph by God. I mean, to father someone is a grand privilege in itself. But to father the Son of God in the flesh in your home for at least the next 30 years was, I believe, the greatest honor God could afford to any human father on the earth. Joseph is trustworthy enough in God's eyes to fulfill this mandate. And he's just about to cut, it, to cut it short. He's obviously faced with the repercussions, the social repercussions of his decision in his day. But listen carefully. The Spirit... Now, read it carefully. How do you read verse 20? Let's read it slowly. It says, When he had, de when he had in your mind this... When he had pondered this, revolved it over and over in his mind with an agitated spirit. Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. So, what do you read? When do you dream? When do you dream? I know some people dream when they are awake, but generally, when do you dream? You should be sleeping. So, something happens in those first few lines. He's meditating. He's active, he's conscious, and he's awake. And in meditation, he slips into sleep. And in his sleep, he dreams. And in the dream, an angel comes and says, Do not fear. What was Joseph's problem? Fear. For the angel to say, Do not fear. And he was probably afraid of the social repercussions of that whole event, how each, however which way this thing panned out. 
And I hear the Lord saying to us this morning, listen carefully, do not fear the social repercussions of your decision. Because God is about to strategically position many of you into pivotal places whereby you're going to steward and be custodian of, like Joseph was a custodian of Jesus, but you will be a steward and custodian of significant aspects of his will. And you know he's leading you to do certain things, but sometimes fear prohibits you. And when you consider what you need to do, you're afraid to make the decision. But I want to encourage you, what meditation does in this context? Meditation um, placates the mind with the spirit's agitation. I can see the man almost in a tiz, Joseph, about to make the biggest blunder of his life and extract himself from corporate prophetic destiny and a record in the scriptures. Remember what, what Matthew says when it records the, the genealogy of Jesus? When it comes to Joseph, it says, uh, and, and, and Joseph, supposedly the father of Jesus, he was the invisible father right, who stewarded the Son of God. You know, who brought Jesus to maturity? Joseph! The Bible says in Luke 2 that he submitted himself to Mary and Joseph. He put himself under subjection. That word subjection is hupotasso, which means to put into right arrangement. Who put Jesus' life for 30 years into right arrangement? Joseph, the, the father, the spiritual father over the Son of God. Ultimately, when Jesus stood in the Jordan, the heavenly father spoke and said, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. So the role of spiritual fathering is to put your life in proper arrangement, such that the Father could affirm your divine sonship and launch you into destiny. I'm saying all that to say this. Can you see how critical Joseph is in the grand scheme of things? And he almost, almost, almost gives it up. Part of the reason why I'm fasting in the next season is, I'm saying, God, I'm feeling certain things I need to do in my spirit. Some of them are frightening. Some of them breed fear. But allow me to prepare the mind so that you can confirm. And let me just say this. God will either confirm or disconfirm certain things. Right? As you move forward. Remember a few weeks ago I encouraged you to let your last dominant thought before you sleep be your meditation upon the word, the ways, or the works of God. Joseph models this. It's like he considers, and the, his mind is considering this, and he sleeps. In that context, in a dream, God speaks to him and says, Do not fear. Right? Um, Psalm 77, verse 6. I lie on my bed. I think it was David. He says, My heart reflects, and my spirit ponders. Right? I want to encourage you to, to ponder upon, upon critical decisions which God might be leading you into. So meditation is a key, key process in this. Okay, let's look at another example. Luke chapter 2 verse 15. Quickly. Come to fly now. Okay, we're going to go a bit faster. Luke 2.15. This is the example of Mary now, the wife who meditated, right? Luke 
2.15 says, When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, uh, remember angels came to the shepherd and said, and told him what's going to happen about the birth of Christ. So when the angels had gone away from the shepherds into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing. They want to see the child. The angels told them they were busy by night watching their flocks. Angels make this grand announcement. they not satisfied with just hearing. They want to see. How many of you want to see <laughs> things you've heard? <laughs> There's prophecies we've heard. Now we want to see. March will be a month of seeing things. I want to encourage you. Things are going to become, uh, we're going to say this is that. Which the prophets have spoken. Repeat after me, this is that. May March be your this is that month. Okay? We want to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And so they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby. And he lay in a manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered. Repeat after me, they all wondered. Of things told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured these things and pondering them in her heart. Right? Pondering them in her heart. Two different um, responses to the same thing heard. One message, two different responses. The, the, the shepherds report things told of them by the angels in the field. The Bible says they all heard and some wondered. The wonder word is like, oh, and wonder. You know, like amazement. Oh, astonish. We come away from conferences. Oh, what a word. Wow, wow, blessed, you know. We wonder at revelation. We are amazed. And it's powerful, eh? Who gets like thrilled when you hear something powerful in God? I get excited, right? But you mustn't stop at wonder. The Bible says, They wondered, Mary pondered. Treasuring these things in her heart. I wrote on Facebook this morning, or last time, I can't remember where, this statement, listen carefully. I said, the average Christian is willing to spend six hours driving to a conference. Spend at least 3,000 rand on travel, and accommodation costs and conference fees simply to hear an authentic servant of God preach a solid word for one hour. But the same person will not even spend the same effort for at least 15 minutes to ruminate, reflect, ponder, and meditate upon what they heard. Why spend all the effort to avail yourself to word when there's no commensurate exertion of your thoughts to treasure. The Bible says she took what she heard and she... Remember, she, remember what, what, what Paul said to his son Timothy? right? Take care of these things and treasure them in your heart. Right? Meditate, be absorbed in them that your progress might appear unto many. Right? I still feel many of us are at the marvel stage. We marvel. Wow, what a word. What a conference. But there's no meditation upon the marvel. 
It's not those. Listen carefully. They all wondered, Mary pondered. Who's Mary? Mary is the one who bore the child. Mary is the one who's going to be with him, educate him together with Joseph. She's like, everyone, I just get the sense of, she's a strategic person. And God, this morning, I was reflecting upon my notes, and the Lord said to me, do you want to be one of the others who wonder? Who do you want to be like Mary who ponders? You've got wanderers and ponderers. <laughs> okay. And I want to be a ponderer. You know why? I want to, the word ponder here, to deeply reflect. And uh, in fact, the word is sumbalo. Everyone says sumbalo. And let me just tell you what this word means. It means to throw together, like this, watch. Watch what I'm doing. To throw together one piece and put it alongside another in an attempt to consider the whole. Think about what Mary is doing. What, let me ask you this question. Do you feel Mary was convinced that this boy is really God, the God-man, God in the flesh? Do you think she was thoroughly convinced of this? Now, let's examine the evidence. How, what kinds of confirmations up to this point that Mary had, that hey, what we're dealing with here is the very Son of God, is going to pay the price for the sins. What they were told by the angel, call his name. Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That profound um, understanding. Now the word literally means to confer, to throw together, to put one piece of information or circumstance next to the other in looking at the bigger picture. What Mary is doing is like a jigsaw puzzle. You know a jigsaw puzzle of different pieces? You fit one into the other and so you can see the, the big the whole, the whole picture. Can you see the whole picture by examining a small piece? Can't, eh? But the moment one is put next to another, your eyes are like, wow, is this what we were busy with all along? Right? So, for example, in Mary's instance, firstly, Gabriel told her personally, this child that will be in you will be of the Holy Ghost. Right? Uh, what other evidence she had? Well, she had the report of the shepherds. Even before that, thirdly, remember when she was pregnant? Who prophesied over her? Her cousin Elizabeth. Right? And she prophesied. So she's hearing another con, con, confirming word. Remember later the wise men would come. Where is he who was born king? So she gets another confirming prophecy. So what is this girl doing? She's taking every bit of information and she's some bellowing. Some bellow putting one piece next to another, and she's treasuring them in the heart. Let me say this to you. Everyone says strategic. And I wrote this as a note to myself. Randolph, if you're going to be a strategic role player, you, if you want to be one of the others that wonder, fine, stay there. But if you're going to be strategic, you're going to have to note, listen carefully, every developmental stage in your journey. Note it and take it as a piece of the puzzle. I really believe in the forthcoming months and years, this is something all of us need to do. Note what God says to you via prophecy. Also note confirming acts and words that come to you. Note also the varying range of experiences that God's going to cause to bring to you. Even journal it if you have to. But put the pieces of the puzzle of your life together. 
go away. And now I, I've started doing this. I'll examine my time at, at, at Sandton for that school. I'll examine the interaction with various men of God last week. And I'm saying, what is God saying? You know what God, by His grace, is doing? He's giving us pieces of the puzzle almost weekly. And God's about to show us the whole. Amen? God's about to give us the broad picture. And I really want to encourage you. Some of us fail to see the broad picture because we're staring at the one piece of the puzzle. Put the pieces together. Confer. Tell your neighbor, confer. <laughs> Literally, literal interpretation of Sambalo means to confer. You know when you have a conference, it's a grouping of people, and you confer, you interact with, with pieces of information to see the greater whole or the, the bigger picture. Okay? There are many, many other things. I want to get to, time is really, can we do two more quickly? Amen? Peter, amen, Chiara said yes, you can go for it. Amazing, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, every word. Chiara said I can go on, I'm going on. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> amen. Can I do two more examples quickly, right? And we'll do the rest next week. But take the reference down, I won't read the scripture because it's for the sake of time. The reference is Acts 10 from verse 9 to 20. Let me tell you the story. Peter... Well, let me give you the, 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 remember Cornelius, the backdrop to this. The preface to this is this. Cornelius is a godly man, devout man. He excels in um, many things. Two particular are prayer and giving. Prays much and he's a real giver. In fact, he built a synagogue, I think, for the Jews. And these two things come up before God as a, as a memorial. right? And the Lord speaks to this man by an angel. I think it's a dream or vision. I can't remember exactly. And the Lord says to Cornelius, your, your giving and your prayers have come up before me as a, as a memorial. Then God instructs him, go to the house of one called Simon Peter and call him to your house. So what is God doing to this Italian? Please remember, this is an Italian, not a Jew. This man probably part of the mafia. I don't know. He's from Italy. He's nowhere near Palestine. He's, he works for the Roman He's a Roman officer. He's in charge of at least 100 men. Now, there are various interpretations of what centurion means. But some versions say centurion can even command a group of at least 1,000, uh, a maximum of 1,000, but at least 100 men under his command. So is this man influential? This is not some ordinary soul. right? So to prepare Simon, Peter, to minister the gospel to Cornelius and his Roman household, get them saved. Peter, and you know Peter, he got issues of racism always built in him. Right? Peter's just got this thing. Right? In any case, so to prepare Peter for this mission, Peter, the Bible says, he is on his, uh, let me read the verse quickly, verse 9. Uh, verse 10. He became hungry and he was desiring to eat. So was Peter hungry? And you know what happens when you're hungry? You start seeing things. <laughs> okay. The Bible says he was hungry, and they were taking too long to make the full preparations. So while they were preparing the food, this man is hungry, and the Bible says he fell into a trance. Who wants to fall into a trance? Just starve yourself. Okay. You start seeing things. He falls into a trance. I'm just joking. Please don't try this. He falls into a trance, and in a vision... The Lord appears to him. 
And remember the sky opens and an object like a great white sheet comes down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And on, this is what he's seeing in the vision. And on the sheet are all kinds of animals, creeping things and birds, all unclean by Jewish standards, all unclean. You know, the Jews didn't just eat anything. So all of these animals were unclean, unkosher for Jews to eat. And in the vision, God says to Peter, Peter, arise, kill and eat. So God is asking in the vision, Peter to do something that is theological Jewish upbringing forbade, prohibited him. There are many dietary laws in the book of Leviticus. And they forbid Jews from eating certain things. So he knows all this. So how can God, you asked me to kill and eat, but my theological training is a big um, prohibitive factor for me obeying you. The Bible says, then God says to him, how don't call unclean that which I have sanctified as holy. God says, if I call it holy, you mustn't regard it. And what the Bible says, I like what it says, and Peter considered it unclean. The word consider means he had a mindset, a mentality, a belief system that forbade him from entering obediently to truth of God. God says, don't call unclean that which I have called clean. He was still resistant. And the Bible says, this vision appears three times. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. So God was serious about this. Think about what was on God's mind. Let me ask you this. Who was on God's mind? Answer. Cornelius. God is dealing with his servant. His servant got 110 obstacles mentally. And God wants to bring salvation to a significant Italian's house. And the only thing standing in the way of Cornelius' salvation is Peter's mind. It's the only thing, not the devil. I tell you now, but the devil is nowhere here. No devil here. The only obstacle is the way Peter thinks. And you know what the Bible says? So, our Peter gets up, eh? Peter gets up. Let me just read something. Peter gets up. This happened three times. I'm trying to find the verse. Acts 10, eh? Verse 19. Verse 17. While Peter... So, I mean, the vision just ends like that. So Peter wakes up. Hey, what did I see? What's God saying? I know God is calling me to do something that my theological training forbids me to do. Right? So he wakes up and... Listen to how the Bible describes his mental state. It says in verse 17, Now Peter was greatly perplexed in his mind. Greatly perplexed in his mind. The word perplexed in the Greek means this. In serious doubt, it also means at a loss to know what to do. Who feels like that sometimes? Serious doubt... And you don't know what to do at a loss, okay? Perplexity of the mind. And I like what the Bible says. Listen carefully. This is Acts 10, verse 17. Now, Peter was greatly perplexed. He wasn't just perplexed. He was greatly perplexed, right? As to what? This is like similar to Joseph, not so. I need to make a strategic call here. What do I do? State of my mind is, 
is perplexity. And the men which are sent by, con- sorry, he was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision he had seen might be. And behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having asked directions to Simon's house, appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking for Simon, who was called Peter, who was staying there. Verse 19, while Peter was reflecting. Everyone say reflecting. The word reflecting there is an intensified form of the word entumiumai, which it's de-entumiumai. And he's revolving over and over in his mind. It says, while Peter was revolving the vision over meditating, pondering, deeply thinking with the mind of his spirit before the Lord, the Spirit said to him, Behold, there are men downstairs waiting for you. Think about, and who are these men? Everyone say Italians. Who are these men? Say unclean. These are, you know, Jews regarded Gentiles as unclean. You don't touch them. So now you can understand what the vision meant. Arise, Peter, kill and eat the unclean. Now unclean are at his door. But you know what? I love how God works there. While he's reflecting, the answer to his vision is at the gate. Literally, the timing of the Lord is like so sharp. But you know what for me is so important? God orchestrates the whole thing, appears to Cornelius, asks him to send his servants to Simon's house. I think while these guys are, I don't know how far they stayed from the house, but while they're on this journey looking for Simon, God, okay, I'll leave you. Cornelius, let me come over here to my servant. Let me deal with him quickly. Show him the vision. Make him fall into a trance. See things. Talk to him. After I talked to him, God said, sure, this guy is more messed up than when I started talking to him. Check the state of his, he's, he's greatly perplexed now. If he was perplexed before, after I spoke, he's in more serious trouble. Right? But, listen, everyone say, but. Tell them it's a big but. Literally. All right. Listen carefully. What was the key in the whole story? While Peter was meditating. While Peter was reflecting. If he didn't reflect, he would have aborted the entire mission. While Peter was meditating. Hey, you know, I can't explain to you in words with human language what this means to me. Of how profoundly God spoke to me. God said to me, Randolph, if you submit yourself to the next 40 days, not just to meditation, but to disciplining your soul before me, while you do this, I will be positioning the answers to all of your prophetic promises at your gate. Little did he know, while I'm thinking about this, there are men inquiring, do I live here? And he says, while reflecting, The Spirit said, everyone say the Spirit said. Do you know the Spirit wants to talk to you? But your mind is so active with so many things. You haven't quieted yourself and started to reflect on the things that God has already spoken to you. And the Bible says there are men downstairs talking. And you know the rest is history. I will encourage you to go home and read the entire, it's a fairly long chapter, this Acts 10. Read the whole story. You know he goes there. And he relays the whole story. In fact, Cornelius starts and says how God spoke to him. He 
who lays his side. Peter ministers the, the word. The Holy Ghost invades the meeting without Peter's permission. They all baptize in the Holy Ghost. They all speak in tongues and they also baptize in waters same day. Whole household gets saved. Think about what the household represents. This is not some ordinary Italian coming into the kingdom. This is a person of significant leadership and influence getting saved. And Peter was given the privilege of facilitating this man's transfer out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. And I want to say to this house, God is saying to us, brethren, saying to me and he's saying to you, I'm going to give you the privilege. Something I need to deeply reflect upon myself. I'm going to give you the privilege of facilitating uh, the migration of whole groups of people from a place of inaccuracy to a place of accuracy. In fact, God is saying, I've already appeared to them. I've already informed them. In fact, they are looking for you right now. The only thing that stands between me and my will being performed in their lives is your mental state. As a man thinks so easy. As a man thinks so easy. Now please, brethren, hear me. Every single one of you can be this caliber of person that facilitates the transfer of significant people. That sometimes, listen carefully, let me just say this also. God is going to bring people that you have... What's the word? You have rendered in your mind ineligible. Like Peter said, the Gentiles can't come in now. How can I... God is going to bring some unsavory souls to you. <laughs> He's going to say, I've chosen them to work through them. But how are you going to be embraced them? So I'm readying myself to position and reposition kings and princes and usher them into the kingdom. All of you will be significantly used in this respect. All of you. I really believe it with all of my heart. But you know what God is requiring? Like, like Joseph did, like Mary did, like Peter did. These, you know, if you're ever going to be strategic in the kingdom, if you're ever going to be a person of significance, you have to say, I am going to excel in the discipline of meditation. Meditation is a lost art today. It's so absent in the body of Christ. right? Um, and we need to do it more conscientiously. Tell your neighbor five minutes more. Last example. I have to. In fact, this is my main thrust. If ever I felt the word of the Lord for the service, is what I'm about to share. While God said to us many profound things. But let me share this last thing of Isaac's example of how this guy meditates. And this you have to read. Read with me quickly in Genesis. It's a short portion. We'll be over in five minutes. Genesis 4, 62 to 64. It was customary in that day for fathers to send out their head servants to find brides for, sorry, Genesis 24, 62, sorry. Genesis 24, 62. So fathers would send out their head servants to look for brides for their sons. Now think about how, how, how Abram charges, I think it's Abimelech if I'm not sure, to find a, a bride for Isaac, Right? Now, please don't come to me after the service and say, this is a scriptural thing. You must find us our partners. I'm just saying it was Old Testament culture. You bring the man to me and I will scan him. 
If you bring the woman, he will scan him quickly for you, but you do the searching. Right? Renee says she's also looking, so you covered, all right? So, and you know the story. We've covered this example in a previous teaching. So he goes out, and a long story short, you can go to the details if you want to, but time will not permit. Ultimately, Rebecca is chosen by the servant. And the servant, he says, I've been successful in my journey. And so think about this. This is after many days. Now think about the state of Isaac. He's left in his hometown, and this his servant, commissioned by his dad, goes out to find his bride. So every day, he must be thinking, sure, will this guy be successful? In other words, listen carefully, the thought of, of Isaac's mind is this. Will I get a bride in the caliber of Sarah, my mother? I'll prove to you, may not today because of time, but this was his primary concern. Will my bride be matriarchal in her DNA? Will she be a person of, of worth and substance to receive prophetic promises and to become a steward of divine destiny to the next generation? This was not just some eeny, meeny, miny, mo, let me pick a bride and anybody can do. It's not about that. The real concern was she'd be a person of worth and substance. So let's read. Verse 62. Now Isaac had come from going to Beer Lahi Rohi. This must become a, 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 one of your favorite words. Everyone say Beer Lahi Rohi. <laughs> you know, like any word starting beer, like Beer Sheba, etc., always indicates a spring or a well. Right? So Beer Lahi Rohi. I'll explain this shortly. So he's living there. In fact, Isaac lived at this place. He lived here um, all his, for most of his life, especially after the death of his father. He set up his, his place of abode here. Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward the evening. And he lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, camels were coming. I just love this verse, don't you? Just that phrase alone. Uh, Isaac went out I think like a long day or whatever, and the sun is setting. He goes out to the field and he says, I'm going to now stop, reflect, and meditate. Like Joseph, like Mary, like Peter. Reflect. And what, is, what do you think is concerning him right now? Obviously, the thing at hand is, I need a wife. Right? Now listen carefully. And the Bible says, and behold, I like this. He went out to meditate in the field towards evening. He lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, camels were coming. And he knew the sign of the, what the camels represented. Rebecca was on one of these camels. Rebecca lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. I believe this was the proverbial meeting of the eyes. One man who meditated lifted up his eyes, and the answer to his problem, the provision of the Lord, found him. Her eyes found him. Her eyes located what she should be servicing. Listen carefully. I really believe, listen carefully. Whenever you meditate, the attempt is to lift up the eyes. Whenever you meditate, what does Ephesians 1.18 says? The eyes of your understanding. So when I meditate, please practice this. Say to God, Father, help me to see what I can't see naturally. I want my eyes to be elevated in the Spirit. I want to behold and understand things beyond what I can see in the natural. 
And let me just say this to you. I want to say this as a prophecy to you as we close. For those of you that choose concentrated meditation, let me qualify. Joshua 1.8 says you must meditate when? Day and night. So we are always thinking there's not one moment in the day when your mind is not working. And I really believe you must practice consistent meditation on God's word, ways, and works. But that does not negate the need for you to carve and etch out time in your busy schedule to have concentrated meditation. Like Isaac did, it says evening time was coming, and this man went away into the field to meditate. Ask your neighbor, do you have your field of meditation? All of us must find a time, find a place. Let me challenge you. Give up that TV program. Some of us are more committed weekly to that time, to that program. We'll never miss it. Even in a world war, we'll still be there. (laughs) So committed, and yet eternal things, we don't have a time and a place. Will you promise me something, brethren? Are you going to have a time and a place for meditation? Let me just say this. If you discipline yourself in this with regularity, listen carefully. Your provision will look to locate you. Rebecca lifted up her eyes. She saw Isaac whose eyes were lifted up. And the eyes of the provision located the man. Things will come to you, especially in reference to strategic covenantal joinings. Marriage is the greatest expression of covenant. Not so? One of the greatest. Here's a strategic decision for marriage. And I believe beyond marriage, God's going to connect you to strategic covenantal people in terms of relationships. That's going to come alongside you to give birth to the next thing God wants to do. The Jacobs and the Esau's and the 12 tribes are going to come from this, this union. Let me tell you quickly what Beer Laoi Roi means. This is the place. Repeat after me. Beer Lai Roi. Say it again. Beer Lai Roi. It means this. I just like this. Listen to what it means. It means... Let me tell you, okay, who named this place? Beer, Lai, Rohi. Hagar, of all people. Remember Hagar, the servant woman that, that Abraham slept with and gave birth to Ishmael? When Ishmael was born, Hagar began to treat Sarah with contempt. Right? Sorry, um, Sarah began to treat Hagar, and there was this animosity between them. It became so unbearable for what the Bible says Hagar fled on her own. Please don't confuse this fleeing with the time when God said to Abraham, cast the bondwoman and her son. That was an initiative from God. This was her own feelings. And the Bible says she ran away, the first fleeing. And she came in the wilderness. She came in the wilderness. And the Bible says in the wilderness she found there a, a spring of water. She found there a spring of water. You can find this in Genesis 13. And God comes to her and God promises to take care of her and to take care of her seed, Ishmael. So she receives confirmation from God. God even prophesied that Ishmael will be a mighty nation. I will take care of him. He'll be a, although God says he'll be a wild donkey and not every man's neck. But God says I will always take care of him provisionally. And isn't that, that true even up until today, right? And you know what? When she realizes, yo, 
God is still with me. She names the place, the well, the spring. That eventually became a well. She calls that place Beer Lai Roi. And it means this. Let me read the scripture. Genesis 13, 16, 13. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly I have seen him who looks after me. Literally read, listen carefully. In the Hebrew, what Hagar was saying to God is this. Have I really seen him or I have seen him who sees me? Repeat after me. I have seen him who sees me. It also means this. Would I have looked here for the one who sees me? She named that place Beer Lahi Rohi, which means this. The well of a life of vision. Also means the well of her that lives and of him that sees her. The well of her that lives and of him God that that sees her. Right? And lastly it means this. The well of the living who sees me. Long story short, Pierre Lahi, Rohi means I see the one who actually has his eyes on me all the time. But I have seen the fact that he sees me. It's come to my mind that his eyes have never left me. And his promises of protection and provision, he has promised he would always be with me. Now the Bible says Isaac chose that place to live most of his life. He, and the Bible says, at Rohi, he goes out into the field at even time, even tide too, to meditate. He lifts up his what? Eyes and the eyes of his provision see him and come to him. I believe the, what consumed Isaac's meditation was this. Yes, God's going to provide for me. But you know what consumed his mind? What do you think made the most indelible mental impression on Isaac's mind all his life? What was the incident in his life that scarred his mind in a good way forever? Remember Abraham almost killed him on the mount? I mean, he never forgot that. I think more credit must go to Isaac than Abraham. Because which young, virile young man allows an old bully to put him on a uh, altar and tie him up and kill him. He, he, he demonstrates total submission to a fathering voice, the principle of death unto self. He never, listen carefully, in Isaac's mind, Isaac never for once had issues of provision. Those, he had no issues of, will God come through for me? Is God going to provide? At a very early age in his journey through his father, the, the nature of God as provision was in his system. We often say Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is my provider. Not so. Jehovah Jireh means the Lord of provision. It's his nature, right? The Lord of provision, right? And so think about it from this point onwards. He sees the answer to his need, seeing him. She lifts up her eyes and sees him. I really believe, I say this prophetically over you. Provision is trying to locate you. 
God's provision is looking for you. You have to open your eyes to see the one that's always seeing you and is wanting to dispense his providential resource in your world. Please leave this meeting having no concern for will God provide. Rather, say to yourself, whatever pressing need I have, I will not take thought, Jesus said, take no thought on what we shall eat, drink, or wear. Do not let your mind be perplexed by providential issues, but position yourself in concentrated meditation. Because I really believe the meditated mind is the context to whom God wants to bring the answers to your provision. Think about and meditate upon this aspect of God's nature. See the one who sees you. See the one who in a wilderness can take care of you. See the one for whom your hopes, all hopes and dreams and desires, even unspoken, that you have deeply embedded inside of you. I see in the spirit the camels are coming. The Bible says he lifted up his eyes. You know what camels depict? Resource. Burden bearers. Camp, the resource is coming to those who go out at eventide to meditate. I really believe it's not coincidental that he meditates at the point at which Rebecca arrives. The principle is the meditated mind is the most ideal mind prepared to receive the greatness of resource that God has always have planned for it. But the meditated mind is the mind whose eyes are lifted up to see it. So ask your neighbor, what do you see? What do you see? In fact, I think to my knowledge, this is the first recorded mention of active meditation in the scripture. And Isaac went out into the field and he meditated. Who knows what will God show you at your next meditation session? Who knows what God's going to unveil to you? In fact, I want to say it again. Rebecca's eyes saw him. The eyes of your provision are looking for you. And they're going to see you and locate you. And God will use you mightily for his, for his purposes. One in a thousand Christians read the scriptures. One in ten thousand Memorize the scriptures. One in a hundred thousand meditate on the scriptures. Those stats are from Brian Hedges I read recently in the week. Astounding facts. Those who meditate will be ideally positioned. Like Joseph was, like Mary was, like Peter was, like Isaac was. As strategic role players in the end time purposes of the Lord. Amen. Lift up your hands, let's pray. Father, we just thank you. We ask your blessing upon us all. Teach us, Father, help us to discipline our minds, to meditate upon all you disclose to us, of your word, of your ways, of your deeds. Help us, Father, to prepare our mental state to be the recipients of profound truth, profound expressions of responsibility that you were going to give to us, Father. We will not forfeit, potentially abort, like Joseph almost did, like Peter almost did for failure of meditation. But because they did, you use them mightily in your purposes. I pray, Father, that help us to love your word so much 
Like David said, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all of the day. I declare even now, come on, lift up your hand. I declare that camels are coming. I declare that resource is coming as you have promised us in your word. But all you require is lifted up eyes in the mind to see it. You've already stationed it, positioned it. Cornelius' men are at the gate looking for us. Resource is already on its way, coming to us. And you, pre- you, uh, you, you, re- you require a corporate meditated mind to administrate and to receive all of these things, Father. Like Joseph married Mary. You're going to cause us to marry strategic relationships. Father, in this season, like Isaac married Rebecca, ultimately, you're going to cause joinings of a significant nature that will steward your purposes. We, we, we don't fully understand even the things we say even now, but we know there are realities even within our spirits. And Father, I pray for every one of us. I pray elevation in the mind, an elevated mind, a meditated mind, a mind of Christ ready to receive all that you would do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.